Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks were back in town for the Seahawks at mandatory minicamp, but unfortunately not quite ready to return to action. What's their status heading into training camp? We'll be breaking down the latest updates here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for a Blue Friday morning edition by my co-host Nick Lee and a special thanks to the 12s that are listening in on this early edition. We greatly appreciate it, whether you're listening in nearby Renton or you're listening down in Quandre Diggs' area in Texas. We greatly appreciate it. We are now done with mandatory minicamp. It's all speed ahead to training camp at the end of July. We've got this moratorium break in here, which means it's time to start thinking about what the rookies are going to accomplish for the Seahawks this upcoming season. A little bit of over-under rookie projections coming on today's show and some injury updates as well. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash NFL. And when you enter the promo code LOCKEDONNFL, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. We are now done with mandatory minicamp. It's full speed ahead to training camp. And like most teams in the league, the Seahawks have some players coming back from injuries that we're going to be monitoring closely to see whether they're going to be able to beat the clock and get back on the field once the Seahawks return to action in late July. Two most notable ones are on the defensive side of the football players that are going to be crucial, Nick, for Seattle to be able to get back to playing sound defense after a rough season in 2022. Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks both coming off severe knee injuries and it looks like they are trending in the right direction. But Pete Carroll, after yesterday's final minicamp practice, didn't have much to say other than that they are in a race to camp. And right now, nobody really knows when those two are going to be back on the field. They were there for minicamp, at least as observers. But it's a situation right now, Nick, where I feel like the Seahawks, if they're playing this smart, like I expect they're going to, the comments that Carroll and John Schneider have made, they are not going to be putting these guys back on the field until they are 100% sold that they are ready to play football again. And that is the smart play, of course. Um, you have a significant you, on one side. You have Jamal Adams, who you invested a lot of draft capital to, to to trade for, and then a lot of money to to extend. So you definitely don't want to push him to where um, it, he becomes, you know, even more damaged goods. And on Jordan Brooks' side, he is your MLB one. I mean, he, I mean, I know we got Bobby Wagner back in town, but as far as you know, the next two, three, four years, um, one would assume Jordan Brooks will take that mantle. And and he did in, in Bobby Wagner's absence last year beautifully. Um, as far as a race to camp, you know, um, it, it seems like if it's a race between the two, to who gets who's able to get get back first, I think Jamal Adams is probably the, the heads-on favorite to to get there. Um, sounds like Jordan Brooks is a little bit more behind. Obviously, understandably. I mean, technically, he did his injury. He tore his ACL this year. Technically, you know, on on January one. Um, so it's a it, that's a long, long road, and that would be an incredibly quick recovery for him if uh, he's able to get back for training camp. And even if he does, you know, even if Jamal Adams and especially Jordan Brooks do 
come back for camp. I mean, it's, it's there's a lot of buildup that needs to happen. You know, you build the callus on the shoulders again, you know, get them, get them kind of game ready. So that's, there's no guarantee, even if they do make it back for camp per se, um, that they're going to be, you know, starting week one full bore, you know, without a snap count or, you know, pitch count, so to speak. So lots and lots of hurdles to still go through, especially on, on the Jordan Brooks side, but um, on the Jamal Adams side, it's, it's, it's a bit more, I, I think at least just kind of reading between the lines, it's a bit more optimistic. Um, that camp could be where Jamal Adams comes back, but either one, of course, both of those guys are invaluable to this defense um, and their success in 2023 and moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I think if it, between the two, Jamal Adams seems a little bit farther along, understandably, since it happened much earlier in the season. Yeah. On one hand, Jamal Adams had his surgery shortly after he suffered his injury last September. So he's much further along in the recovery process, but he is also coming back from a much more sophisticated injury, a torn quad tendon. I have seen guys, and this is not just football. This is a fairly rare injury. You don't see it happen a lot, but I'm thinking Victor Oladipo in the NBA. It was more than a year till he was back on the court, and we're talking about playing basketball. And so it's an injury that can be tough because I've seen guys come back in 11, 12 months. I've seen guys that it's taken a year and a half for them to get back on the field or back on the court. So it's a tougher injury to return from, especially when you consider that Jordan Brooks, not that he didn't have a severe injury, a torn ACL is always a significant injury, but he didn't have any additional damage. It was just a clean tear. He didn't have any other issues. Brian Monet, on the other hand, had some other stuff they had to clean up with that injury, and that complicates things. So I think it's going to be tough to really have an idea who's going to be ready first, and it might be one of those things where you end up bringing them both along about the same pace, even though Jamal Adams had his surgery much earlier than what Jordan Brooks did in the process. I think that the real thing that we have to consider here, though, is when they do get on the field, and I think you were kind of hitting at this, I'm now going to call this the Quandre Diggs precautionary tale because how many times, including earlier this week, have we heard from Diggs himself last year coming off of a fractured fibula and a dislocated ankle that it took several weeks for him to feel comfortable on the field, like he could make all the movements and have the confidence in that leg. And we saw him struggle compared to his usual play early in the season. And then second half, when the light switch came on, four interceptions the last seven games, he wasn't missing near as many tackles. He looked like Quandre Diggs again. And so you have to consider that with both these guys coming back from injury, even when they are on the field and they're healthy enough to play. Who knows how long until we are going to see the pre-injury version of Jamal Adams or Jordan Brooks. And I think that's something that's noteworthy here when we're looking at two players again that are going to be critical to the defensive success for this football team this year. Yeah, you bring up a good point with the difference in injuries for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Even if they're able to participate in camp a lot, I think it's really a smart idea to, to bring them along. It's not like, you know, especially on, on in the secondary, it's not like, you know, they're they're do or die, you know, week one, they have to have them back on the field. Otherwise they're going to be behind the eight ball um, as far as their, their goals this year. Um, I think they have good depth at both positions, really. Um, you know, we keep, keep, you know, Jordan Brooks and I, we've kind of programmed, at least in my brain where he's like, yeah, he's, he's the guy now and we need him. And we're like, Oh, Bobby Wagner's back. You know, that's going to help soften the blow a little bit while, while uh, Jordan Brooks is healing up, even though they can both be on the field at the same time, as far as that leadership goes. Um, yeah, so I think it's pretty smart that they play, they play it slow. And even if they do, you know, we hear proposals like, yeah, they're back at, they're back at camp, they're in pads, you know, let's still maybe temper it a little bit. Cause you're right. 
even if they are healthy and they can play, um, there's going to be some you know game shape. Are they going to be in game shape in the NFL, which is a, a different uh, plane of existence than normal mortality <laughs> for, for most people. So it, to get it back to that level so quickly would, would be really impressive, but also to rush it back would be irresponsible. And the Seahawks have prepared themselves by signing Julian Love and Devin Bush. They've got two players that have extensive starting experience in the NFL that are younger players as well that they can plug into the starting lineup at those two spots if Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks aren't ready or they're not ready for a full-time workload. That's the other thing we could see. We could see Brooks playing a handful of snaps in the first couple of games, we could see the same thing with Jamal Adams as more of a situational sub package player and getting him back up to speed. They have afforded themselves a little bit more luxury in that regard with the signings they've made in free agency. But ultimately, they are going to need these two guys to be back to form at some point in the 2023 season to give themselves a chance to compete with the 49ers in the NFC West. A few other injury updates real quick from Pete Carroll. Kobe Bryant's been out with a toe issue. That's the main reason Devin Witherspoon is playing snaps in the slot. Not necessarily the Seahawks plan to play him there at the beginning of the season, but they're at least giving him a look there. Bryant probably going to be ready to go for training camp, as will Tariq Woolen. They're still very optimistic that he's going to be back from his minor knee operation for the start of training camp. He's already trending in the right direction on that front. As far as negatives, Brian Monet and Alton Robinson, they're both coming off significant knee injuries themselves. Pete Carroll said both of them are quite a ways away. So that made it sound to me like they're probably going to be missing to start a training camp minimum. They might be candidates to be on the pup list to start the season and miss at least the first four games. And so that's noteworthy, especially with Monet after losing Al Woods. If they're not going to have him back early in the season, that makes that nose tackle position an even more concerning issue for that front line moving forward. Coming up next, we're going to play some over or under as we gear up for the 2023 season. It's rookie edition. We'll be looking at all the draft picks, maybe an undrafted player or two sprinkled in there as well. We're really looking forward to it here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Putting it simply, Bird Dogs make you look and feel good. You won't want to take them off. Bird Dog's stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lulamon, but fit way better. Unlike regular shorts, Bird Dogs aren't made of a stiff, restricting cotton, keeping you comfortable year-round. Take my word for it. Whether I'm on a road trip covering a Seahawks game or chilling in my house preparing for a podcast like today, I'm always sporting Bird Dog shorts and joggers because they are extremely comfortable. Don't restrict movement while keeping the slim look and the sweat-wicking fabric keeps me cool and dry all day long, no matter the elements. I can't recommend Bird Dogs enough. You'll want to wear them all day, every day. So go to birddogs.com slash NFL and enter the promo code LOCKEDINNFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash NFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For our everydayers out there, we're going to be shifting to our annual 90-man countdown with the first five players coming up on Monday. We're also going to be checking out some pre-training camp storylines and some position-by-position updates. So we've got tons of content coming your way. You won't want to miss that's coming up on Monday. 
It's Blue Friday, Nick, and it's been a few weeks since we've had an opportunity to do this, but that means it is game day. And with the offseason program in the books, I know there's a few OTAs left. They're passing academy, but the veterans are going home. The rookies are still here, but generally the offseason program is over. And so that means we're full speed ahead to training camp. Rookies are going to get their chance to battle against veterans, try to win starting jobs or at least reserve roles for this football team. And so as we do each and every year, it's time for a spirited game of over or under. And Nick, we're going to start on the defensive side of the football with Seattle's draft picks for the 2023 class. And how this works, those of you that haven't heard of over or under, I'm going to dish out a proposal with a number. For example, we could say Tariq Woolen over under five and a half interceptions. And you're going to tell me whether you're picking over or under and why. I'll have a chance to chime in as well and should be a lot of fun looking at these rookies going into their first year into the NFL. So let's start the festivities here over under here on Blue Friday with Devin Witherspoon, the number five overall pick over or under Nick three and a half interceptions for Devin Witherspoon and the Seahawks in 2023. Well, he had three interceptions last year at Illinois, but of course that was with a lot of the Big Ten quarterbacks completely ignoring him, knowing um, his immense, immense talent on that side. And um, Illinois had a pretty solid secondary overall, but I think he was definitely the alpha as far as the the secondary goes. Um, so before Tariq Woolen, I, I actually had to look this up. I was very interested. Before Tariq Woolen last year, six, the Seahawks went five full seasons between that and a cornerback having more than three interceptions in a season go back to Richard Sherman in 2016. Um, that, that's quite a, that's quite a gap. So, you know, asking a, a, pretty much if I say over here, that's four interceptions that that's two years in a row after going five, six years with that one, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say over, I'm going to say four because I just, obviously, you know, you can't take a cornerback at five and not expect something like this to happen. Um, especially with Tariq. Well, it's not like they can completely ignore Devin Witherspoon. I mean, Tariq Wollin is fresh off, uh, arguably, you know, a, a strong case for uh, AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, uh, Pro Bowler. And so it's not like they can completely go away from Witherspoon's side. They're going to have to challenge him. And I think Witherspoon, everything we've read and seen with his personality, with with how he plays the game, he's not going to shy away from that. And I think that'll lead to some interceptions. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say he's going to go gangbusters here, um, but four. I, I think he gets a solid four interceptions. I think that's a that's a reasonable. Um, you know, expectation as far as being the number five overall pick, um, whether that's fair or not. But I, I do see a scenario where that happens. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over too. And it's really piggybacking off one of the reasons that you mentioned. This is not a situation where quarterbacks are going to be able to say, you know what, we're just going to stay away from Devin Witherspoon. Because if you do that, you've got to throw at Tariq Woolen, who tied for the NFL League lead in interceptions last year. No, by the way, he's still kind of raw. So he's only going to get better. And you've got the safety, Quandre Diggs. You're hoping to have Julian Love and Jamal Adams both out there. Your slot position, you got a couple guys that are capable of playing there. This is not going to be a secondary where you're going to be able to pick on one guy and say, you know what, I'm going to just throw at you every time. I'm going to leave this side of the field open. They're not going to be able to do that. So I think quarterbacks are going to have to test him. And I think Devin Witherspoon is going to be more than ready for that. So I'm actually going to say he picks off five passes this year. I know that might seem bold, but that's the kind of player that we are talking about here. I think it impacts Tariq Woolen's production because quarterbacks aren't going to be throwing at him as much, but 
I like Devin Witherspoon's chances here of being able to get his hands on the football quite frequently for this defense. I think the pass rush is going to be a little bit better too, which is going to speed up that clock for the quarterback. Speaking of the pass rush, the second draft pick the Seahawks made on defense, Derek Hall, over or under Nick, five and a half sacks as a rookie rushing off the edge for the Seahawks. Just that picture makes me shudder in fear. I, just, I, I like uh, Derek Hall's game a lot. Um, I like the pass rush tools. Honestly, five and a half sacks seems a little aggressive for his rookie year. Um, I'm going to say under. I think he can get to four, four and a half, maybe even five, uh, 5.0. Um, as of now, he's still behind Daryl Taylor and Nuwosu, who are going to definitely get theirs. Um, I, I think Daryl Taylor is going to make another leap, I think. And Nuwosu is definitely the best edge rusher that the Seahawks had last year. Um, if, if Hall is thrust into more of a starting role, you know, given injuries, perhaps, um, you know, God forbid, um, I think he has the tools, the skill set to make five and a half or over five and a half happen or, or push. I guess you could do that in sacks if you want to cheat that way. Um, but, but just given some of the, the depth, how the depth chart might break out and, you know, playing time, I think it might be a little tough to get to five and a half. I'm going to go under, but not very much. I do think he does have a solid rookie year four, four and a half, 5.0 sacks, but over five and a half, you know, getting to six, that, that might be a tough ask, but um, I do like Derek Hall. And, you know, maybe eventually he does evolve into that player that does get consistently expected, or at least you can expect over five and a half. But for now I'm going to go under, but not, but not by much. I always feel like I'm cheating when I do this, but this is truly how I feel. I'm pushing on this. I'm going (laughs) right at five and a half. And because historically look at last year, boy, Mafe only had three sacks, but Daryl Taylor in his pseudo rookie year had more than six sacks. He had six and a half. So recent projections would make this a little bit trickier. I don't think he's going to be starting for this football team, but I think Derek Hall is going to get plenty of reps rotating in behind Uchenna Nuosu. And I think with his motor, there are going to be some sacks that he gets this year where he just purely chases guys down. He's that kind of an effort player. So I'm not willing to go over here, but I would not be surprised if he can get to that five, five and a half sack range. And since this is actually a stat where we can have halves, why not? So I'm going to push it with five and a half. Now going to the interior defensive line, fourth round pick Cameron Young over under Nick, 15 and a half solo tackles for Cameron Young as a rookie in the middle of that defensive line. Well, we talked about the in the first in the first segment the, the concern with Brian Monet at the nose tackle position. I think there's a real concerning lack of depth in the interior, especially you know amongst the the beefier on the beefier side. And I think Cam Cameron Young is going to play. Um, I'm a huge golf fan, so I keep you know Cameron Young. <laughs> it's not that Cameron Young. He's he's got a few more lbs on on the golfer one. Um, the the health of Brian Monet is a huge factor here for me. I'm going to go over, um, just because I think Cameron Young. It, for better or for worse, might be thrust into a role um, where he's playing a lot. He's going to get that volume uh, that that could that could have, give him present chances for over 15 and a half solo tackles. Al Woods, I think, had 27 solo tackles last year. He's gone, obviously. Um, I'm going to say over. I, I do think Cameron Young's going to play a lot, and I, I have high hopes for him. So he'll have that opportunity. I'm going to go under, not much, just a little bit under. And it's not because he's not going to be playing right now. He's going to be your starter, but when you watch the film at Mississippi State, is he capable of making some plays? Absolutely. But I didn't necessarily see a guy that made a ton of tackles for the Bulldogs. Now, maybe in a different scheme where he's not slanting all the time, he's going to have more opportunities to make plays. 
but he's going to be counted on to eat up space and clean things up so the linebackers can go in and make plays. And that's truly the job of the nose tackle in this scheme. With it being solo tackles, if we're talking combined tackles, then I'd probably be going over 30 on this. But as far as solo tackles go, I'm going to say 13. And that would match up fairly well with the stats he put up at Mississippi State. This is not a guy that racked up big tackle numbers. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're not getting the job done at nose tackle. That's just the way the job works. You are opening things up for others to make tackles. If he's able to do that successfully, then he'll have a solid rookie year. I just don't see him making a ton of solo tackles on his own. Now, staying on the defensive line in the fifth round, one of the players I'm most intrigued about in this year's draft class, over under Nick, six and a half tackles for loss for Mike Morris, who's transitioning full-time inside for the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm really excited about him as well. Just, you know, the the adjustments he made, the, you know, the body change pretty much to, you know, shows the commitment level of Mike Morris. And I just don't think he'll get quite enough playing time to get there for six and a half tackles for loss. I, I could see him getting, you know, five or so. Um, he'll have to beat out guys like, of course, Miles Adams and definitely Jaron Reed. I mean, there's there's guys in the depth chart who can play ball. Um, I'm going to go under. Um, I, I do think he gets a few. I think he maybe gets up to three or four, but um, this, this might be a case where he might not get the the volume of snaps enough to kind of reach that number. This is one that I was really torn on when we were preparing for the show because I think the athleticism gives him a lot of opportunities if he's able to acclimate to the position. He's going to be really disruptive with that athleticism. But where's the playing time come? But I'm going over. I'm going to go with seven. I'm going to go just above this. And the reason that I'm doing that is I think he takes Jaron Reed's starting job by midseason. That's that's my bold prediction on today's show. I not I just Jaron Reed, maybe there's still enough in the tank for him to be a full-time starter. I'm just not sure that I see that the last two years in Kansas City and Green Bay. And maybe it changes coming back to Seattle, but the athleticism, the ability to hunt down the football. And I, I just, I'm intrigued by this kid a lot. And I think there's going to come a point in the season where he's going to get a lot more opportunities. And I just think his strengths play to making some of those disruptive plays in the backfield. So maybe I'm being way too bullish here, but I'm going to go at seven, just above that six and a half tackles for loss. And the final defensive rookie draft pick for the Seahawks, he's joining a loaded position group. So we're going to talk about a guy that might struggle to get playing time. Hence, that's why we're doing this one for over under. Jarek Reed, eight and a half special teams tackles for the Seahawks in 2023. Based on everything I've read and, you know, kind of observed on tape and things of, of Jarek Reed, I, I agree with the assessment that he's he's an angry elf. <laughs> and the Seahawks definitely need, you definitely need some angry elves on, on special teams. I think that's where they thrive. Um, uh, the Seahawks might have found a little bit of a special teams ace in Jared Reed. I think that that's a really nice fit for him. I actually, I'm not only am I going to go over, I think he gets double digits. I think he gets double digit special teams tackles. I just think, I uh, just, he, he looks like one of those guys who will commit to that role and, and, and make, make it his and kind of bloom where he's planted at, in special teams. And so I really like that place for him. And I, I do see an over here. I'm going to go under, but just barely. I'm going to have him at seven and a half special teams tackles, which that is still a very solid season. I just think Seattle's got enough other guys that are going to be making plays. Nick Bloor still is a beast making tackles on special teams. 
DJ Dallas can get down there and make plays. I think Seattle's going to have a lot of guys that are in that six, seven, eight tackle range. John Radigan being fully healthy too. He's another guy that I think can make a lot of tackles. So uh, Derek Young is another player that made some stops on special teams. I just think there's enough really solid cover guys. It might be hard for him to get that many tackles. So uh, I'm going to go with seven and a half just under on that one. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host, Nick Lee. A special thanks to all the 12s for tuning in, as always, and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, coming up on Monday, much anticipated, we're going to be kicking off our 90-man countdown, a great opportunity to dive into every single player on Seattle's roster. It might end up being more than 90 players because the Seahawks like to play musical chairs at the back of their roster, but we will start with numbers 90 through 86 coming up on Monday. You won't want to miss it. Continuing our over and under, let's flip over to the offensive side of the football with Seattle's incoming draft class. And they had two first-round picks, one of them used on Devin Witherspoon, the other first-round pick used on Jackson Smith in Jigba, the receiver from Ohio State. So, Nick, I'm dishing this to you. Over, under with Jackson Smith in Jigba, four and a half touchdowns in his rookie season. He's probably the rookie I'm most excited about. Um, I just I just like uh, I like his infusion of talent and abilities in the offense here. The I looked, had to look this up. The only time since DK Metcalf has joined the Seahawks where a third receiver, not tight end, receiver, I had more than four receiving touchdowns was David Moore had six in 2020. Um, since then, it's been four or less for um, a, a, quote, third receiver behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf since Metcalf entered the, entered the league. So I think it's pretty obvious that Jackson Smith and Jigba is a bit more talented than, say, David Moore or some of the options that the Seahawks have had at you know WR3, so to speak. Um, I, I think there's definitely going to be some opportunities there. I just think with, with the abilities he has, the unique, um, talents he has that, that kind of complements what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett bring, what the tight ends will bring. I'm going to go over, I think he gets five or six. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to have some crazy 1200 yard, eight touchdown gangbusters year. You know, there's two really, really good pro bowl level receivers in front of him. Um, but he, he's going to get an opportunity, I think, and he's going to make the most of that. I'm going to go – I think he's going to go five. I'm going to go – I'll say five touchdowns, a slight over. Um, I just think that that talent is just – is there. It's too much. And the last few years, they've had a, a couple guys that have pushed that a little bit, but not quite gotten to four and a half, five. So I'll go five over, but just slightly. I'm going to go just under, and it's not because I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba is capable, and especially with him being the slot weapon that he is, that could be real valuable in the red zone. But there's a couple reasons why I think the yardage is going to be nice, but I'm not necessarily sure that I'm going to see touchdowns from him. You've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, as you mentioned. Those guys are going to get their targets in the red zone. I also am very bullish on the tight ends inside the 20s this year, scoring a fair number of touchdowns, especially Colby Parkinson. To me, that is the guy that needs to be, I don't want to use the term force fed because when you have the weapons they have, you shouldn't be force feeding anybody. But a six, seven athletic tight end, he should be a guy that gets a lot of touches inside the 20 yard line, especially inside the 10. I just think there's enough guys around. It's going to be difficult for any of these players. I mean, Tyler Lockett and Metcalf have been consistent scoring touchdowns. I, I just don't know that he's going to get a ton of opportunities down there to necessarily score. And that's not including the run game, which they're expecting is going to be better with Charbonnet being more of a goal line guy that can really punch it in. 
So I just think it's going to be kind of tricky for him to get touchdowns in this offense this year. Speaking of Charbonnet, Nick, over or under 450 and a half rushing yards for Zach Charbonnet in a tandem with Ken Walker III. I'm really excited for this duo. Um, last year, the Seahawks' second best rusher was Geno Smith <laughs> with 366 yards, of course, with Rashad Penny's injury. Um, he had 346 before that injury. So the Seahawks have not actually had two 450-yard-plus running back rushers since 2018 when it was Chris Carson and Mike Davis. So it's been a little bit since the Seahawks have had two guys that have pushed you know, the 500-yard plateau um, certainly this is the, a, a talented group, a talented duo that could push for that. I, I'm going to go under just slightly the, this, I, I don't think, I think there's a world that exists where he can have under that and still have a very solid rookie year. Um, and, but of course we know what the injury history to the Seahawks running backs, unfortunately. And I think Charbonnet will, will probably get a chance to, to take some, a, a lion's share of carries every once in a while. Maybe just Ken Walker's not hundred percent. You know, he can still play, but maybe give uh, Charbonnet a bit more of the of the, of the share of the, of the tackles, or I'm sorry, of the carries. But um, if he stays healthy as the the second option, if he stays healthy all all throughout the year, I think he can push for 450. I, I think he does get to 400 at least. I'm going to go under, but not by much. I just think with Ken Walker being kind of the king of that room, so to speak, he's he's still the alpha in the in the running back room. Um, but I think Charbonnet will will push it, but not quite get there. I'm going to go over on this one because of the running back injury situation. There are going to be opportunities. This kid is a talented runner. They're going to want to find ways to get him and Ken Walker the third, a bunch of carries. I just think there's going to be games where he is the guy that ends up having the more gaudy stats. And you have a handful of games like that, and you're involved the rest of the season, obviously health permitting. This is not a number that I think is that high. I know that, as you mentioned, they haven't had two guys do it since 2018, but this is the best one-two punch that they have had really since then because Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, they just couldn't keep both of them healthy at the same time, unfortunately. But if you can keep Walker and Charbonnet both healthy, I like his odds. I'm not saying he's rushing for 1,000 yards. He's maybe in that 500 range, not too much above this, but – I think 450 and a half. I'm feeling I'm feeling good about this. Uh, maybe a little frisky, but I'm going for 500 rushing yards for Zach Charbonnet. Now let's go to the trenches, the guys that really matter, the offensive line. Over or under 10 and a half starts for Anthony Bradford as a rookie this season. Well, I think it's safe to say that right now he's kind of guard number three behind Damian Lewis and Phil Haynes. Um one caveat here is Phil Haynes has not been able to stay healthy his whole career. Odds are Bradford is going to get some starts at guard. Um, whether that's going to be 11 seems a little steep. I'm going to go under. I'm going to say he gets to maybe seven or eight starts, I think, just with the attrition that happens along the offensive line. It's almost inevitable. And I really like his game. I like his size. I like I like some of the, 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 the traits he brings along the offensive line in the interior. I do think he does become a starter. I, maybe even a full-time starter in 2024, um, but just with with some of the depth, you know, depth and, and also some injuries, he'll get some starts, but not quite enough to get to 10 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go under this one too. If 
our listeners were listening last week, we did a segment on the right guard battle. And I said, Phil Haynes is my pick to win that starting spot right now. I think they still have some optimism that Phil Haynes can be a starter in the league beyond this year. And so we'll see what happens. I think there's a good chance that Bradford could end up unseating Haynes at some point this upcoming season, especially if injuries come into play, but uh, 10 and a half, I just can't go above that. I think Phil Haynes is going to, hold on to this job for a while minimum, if not for the entire season. So I'm going to go way under that one on this one. Staying on the O-line with Olu, Oluwatimi, fifth-round pick out of Michigan. They love their Michigan men in Seattle. Over or under two and a half sacks allowed by Olu, Oluwatimi. Well, he's probably my favorite draft pick. That we said, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and Oluwatimi are probably my two favorites. Um, Austin Blythe allowed three sacks last year per per pro football focus and then ethan posick for the, uh, the center for the seahawks in 2021 allowed two i like his chances of getting under that especially you know I, I there's no guarantee he'll be the starter week one at center with evan brown um so that'll obviously keep his sacks allowed number a little smaller if he doesn't you know start week one i think although it's him he's probably uh, not probably I, I do wholeheartedly think he is a better center than Austin Blythe or Ethan Posick were in Seattle. I think that this is an, an, op, an, an upgrade, and I think it's just a matter of how long can Evan Brown hold him off, I think is kind of where we're at there. Um, I, I'm going to go under. I, I think he's, you know, two sacks maybe. Um, he's been really, really solid. And if people look up at how many sacks he allowed last year at Michigan, he had as many sacks allowed at Michigan last year as I've eaten vegetables yesterday, which was zero. And so he had zero sacks allowed last year. Um, so I'm going to go under, um, whether that be maybe a mix of not quite starting week one. Plus I really think he's a solid center. Yeah, I'm going to go push. And I know I hate doing this, but I think he starts in week one and I think he's really good in pass protection. I think he gives up two and a half sacks this year, which considering some of the teams they're going to be playing, maybe that's being a bit ambitious, but Austin Blythe only gave up three last year. I think Oluwatimi is significantly better in both pass protection and run blocking already. So I think he beats out Evan Brown in training camp. I think he starts in week one. Good luck with Aaron Donald. That's going to be a tough first matchup. But I like his trajectory as the season goes on. I just don't think he's going to give up a ton of sacks. So I'm going to go push on this one. Two and a half sack seems just about right on Oluwatimi. And we got one last draft pick here on the offensive side of the football. One more running back to talk about. So obviously I'm going to be excited here. Over or under 200 and a half receiving yards for Kenny McIntosh, the seventh round pick out of Georgia. 200 receiving yards, you know, Rushing yards, I think, would be a, a, maybe a little aggressive here, too. But receiving yards, I think, is really aggressive. Um, just the, I had, to the best of my knowledge, the last time a backup running back got to 200 receiving yards, I believe, was C.J. Prosize in 2016. It's going to be tough. Uh, I do think McIntosh will play a good amount, again, like we mentioned, with the injury history at that running back for the Seahawks. Um, and I think he's going to be playing with a man with a little bit of his hair on fire. And you just saw the kind of how the draft weekend played out for him. And I think he's going to wear that his whole career and make it turn it into a positive and turn it into, you know, a fuel for him. So I, I do think that he'll give, you know, given the injury history of the Seahawks the last six, seven years, especially, and given maybe his drive and desire to, to prove the doubters wrong, I, I think he does play a, a lot. But 200 receiving yards, I think, is a little steep for, you know, a presumed backup running back. I'm going to go under. 
Yeah, I'm going to go under two. I think he could maybe get fairly close here, depending if if he's able to become that weapon in the screen game that they've been desperate for for 25 years. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up because it's been way too long. I mean, I was not, not that I was in diapers, but it wasn't long after I was in diapers when they could run screens successfully in Seattle. So it's been a long time. But if Kenny McIntosh can be that guy, we know he's got soft hands. He can play a little bit in the slot, too. There could be opportunities for him. I, I just think 200, especially with all the other weapons they've got, I just don't think he's going to get enough touches to have an opportunity to get to that mark. Real quick, we've got an extra credit one here. Just based off yesterday's show, the comments that Pete Carroll made, Jake Bobo over or under three and a half receptions as an undrafted rookie. I love this. I love this so much. Um, just I, I, I love him. I don't know why. I just like Jake Bobo so much. Um, I'm, I'm going to go under here. Um, I, I think the running back room is obviously very crowded. And the only way he gets really a, a solid chance at four catches even is if the injuries are just decimating the receiver room. And which could happen. I mean, it's not, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'm going to say under, but that doesn't mean I don't think he can provide solid depth or, you know, practice squad, you know, that, that kind of in between kind of guy, but three and a half receptions. I mean, we, we, he could blow this up week one. If you know, things happen, uh, crazy things happen and they need to, they need to call him up week one, but I'm going to go under for now. Yeah, I'm going to go under two because I still need to see more before I'm even sold that this guy is going to make the team or the practice squad because it's that deep of a receiving core. And he may be impressing this point, but I still have reservations about 499 speed. I mean, I don't put everything in athleticism, but we're talking a guy that ran a slower 40 time than some of the offensive linemen that got drafted in this year's draft. So I just, I, I'm hesitant to go out and I can't see his name and I can't watch Jake Bobo play without thinking that he's himself. but I, anyway, <laughs> beside the point here, I, I just can't see him making this roster right now. Maybe I'll change my mind watching training camp, but he needs to show more to me on the practice field before I'm even willing to say he's going to make the team or practice squad. And then we can start talking about, will he make any catches this upcoming season? As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51 subscribe and follow locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. When we come back from the weekend, we're going to be starting our 90-man countdown, numbers 90 through 86, and starting to dive into some pre-training camp questions worth consideration. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend, and thanks for listening. Go Hawks.